0: over.
1: welcome to game over montreal i am your usual host andrew berkshire and we're going to jump right into our guest today because we have A lot to cover, and you know, only so much time that people want to stick around here because it's a weeknight. So, I'm going to welcome in my guests, Lori Bennett and Shane Malloy. How are you both doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me again. Appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure. Good on this end. Yeah, we got uh, it's like the maritime edition here. We got uh, Lori from Newfoundland and Shane from New Brunswick, I believe, is where you're living now, Shane.
0: That is correct. So yeah, I just got back from Montreal on a six-day run. So it was great to see some great to see some Hab games, and I saw some games in Laval and some Q games. So had to do uh, a little tour before I got back for trade deadline day.
1: And it was a crazy trade deadline day for the Montreal Canadiens in terms of value that they got for picks. Uh, I mean, the when it was just the Brett Kulak trade. I feel like already, considering the Toffoli maneuver and the Chirot trade, I think you could say that Kent Hughes had won his fair share of moves, right? Like that, everything was going well. I think the Kulak trade specifically, I look at it specifically because Edmonton and they essentially got the same for Kulak that Edmonton paid for Jeff Petrie or that Montreal paid for Jeff Petrie back in the day, which is pretty nuts when you think about it.
0: Well yes Crazy. overall yeah and I give I give the management group in in Montreal a lot of credit cuz I think they squeezed as, as much value as you possibly could out of the players that they had and they leveraged what they could and I think they put themselves in a really strong position particularly you know yes you, there's the extra draft picks so if you look at the next 2 years in terms of the extra first and extra first for the next 2 years and that extra second if you really sort of combined you know, those six picks together of the first two rounds and the second rounds, that's going to be the core of the prospect pool moving forward. Like we're not even talking about the kids that already been drafted, just moving forward. So there's their base. And then it gives them that opportunity to use the threes and extra threes and fours they have to potentially package and make deals and look for teams that have these veterans that would be nice placeholders for the next couple of years where teams have to get rid of these guys because they're over cap. So there's an opportunity there, I think, for both for Kent Hughes and, you know, and the rest of his management group to really take advantage of some teams as they come towards the draft, you know, after all the dust settles. So, you know, there could be some more fireworks as we head into the draft and that's being hosted in Montreal.
2: For sure. Kulak, uh, I mean, the Oilers pretty much got Kulak for free in terms of cap space, not in terms of picks, obviously, but, uh, with the Habs retaining and, uh, and Ligasen coming back, um, uh, Kulak was added to a team that was pretty cap strapped for essentially balance. Um, so it was a nice, uh, getting that second and, and, uh, you know, thrown in the extra was that was, that was a perfect deal. Um, uh, perfect way to maximize your UFA wouldn't, you know, no, it would have been sad to see Kulak resigned, honestly, but uh, but you can't turn that deal down. It's Too good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I think everybody here liked Brett Kulak. I, I really liked that management kind of pumped his tires yep. publicly in the last little while. You could see that translate to Kulak on the ice. It seems like he was a man possessed the last few games he was playing. of the best hockey of his career which you know may have caught edmonton's eyes as they were watching the games the last little while i think he's going to fit in really well in edmonton as well he's a guy that just seems to be very easy to play with doesn't make a lot of noise offensively and you know isn't necessarily the most amazing in zone defender either but does a lot of good stuff in the neutral zone uh, excellent puck mover in the defensive zone out into the neutral zone and just seems to make smart quiet decisions all the time that make things easy and non-stressful for their partners. Just ask Jeff Petrie or Alex Romanov the last little stretch here. It's, I think the Canadians are going to miss Kulak uh, at least this season. I don't know what the plan is for next season yet, but it's going to be a tough one with all the D that have gone out the door here.
0: He's played with everybody. Yeah. You know, he, he makes it easy. Like you guys had mentioned because of that, He has good puck retrieval. Not great, but good. Uh, He has really good puck support, you know, in all zones. And he makes a smart first pass, and he manages the puck. He just, he's about, you know, as boring as a menu as you're going to want. But if you're a more active defenseman, he's exactly what you want as a partner. So, I think he's going to fit nicely at Edmonton, like you guys have mentioned. And there's going to be opportunities, I think, in this offseason to supplement that defense. Because if I'm looking at it from... The management standpoint of Montreal. Okay, we got a bunch of young defensemen coming. You know, all between the ages of like nineteen to twenty-three, and they're going to need some time in the American League. And go, let's let's try to find some placeholders. Let's get some guys in for like two-year contracts, maybe three at max, but two is ideal, and just fill that void until those guys are ready. So you don't have to force in like a ghoulie if you don't have to. Because like, as much as everybody's in love with him, and they should be, very much a Pareko style of defenseman, you don't want to force that guy into a lineup like this where there's not enough support on that defense core, uh, particularly if they end up moving Petrie. So I think it's just a dangerous position to put in a young defenseman in. So that's where you can go find these guys. Just a placehold for a couple of years and let these young guys get a couple more years because I know we're talking all we've just been chatting about Harris, of course, potentially going to be signed soon. Um, because Northeastern got a little extra breath of life. Um, but Jaden Struble's on that team as well, another draft pick, and I think nobody's really talked about him. So he's another guy that could be end up being signed this year and thrown into the American League. So that American League defense in Laval next year could be young and talented and exciting for this franchise moving forward. Yeah,
1: yeah
2: absolutely. They've, they've, they've still got a, a couple of placeholders. I think they're discovering a few guys that they have that uh, I, I think Schooneman going to find his way back. Uh, yeah. he's, he's proven himself to be, you know, just fine for, for uh, the, the phase that they're in as a team. Um, Savard's not going anywhere. Uh, Edmondson, maybe, like, I think he's probably sticking around for a bit. And then you've got Romanov, who's essentially going to be a veteran (laughs) come next year. So, so, you know, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, with a little bit of help. the D is fine for where they are in the next uh, couple of years until they start adding again.
0: Yeah, add a couple, like, more senior defensemen there, just, you know, guys that are maybe in their late 20s, 30 years of age. They're not going to be probably be sexy players, but they're those placeholders because it doesn't force Montreal to be in a situation where they have to have a lot of term and that it's not going to be a massive asset to, to pick up. And then maybe you get something when you move them out, but maybe not. And that's okay. Cause that's all. So not with it. Yeah. It's all part of that doing business. No tank, probably not, but yeah, you know, maybe, you know, like kind of like the, Dahan kind of defenseman, right? They're not sexy, but they're just going to fill a role as a number five, number four, those kind of D men, um, because that's kind of like the trajectory I see this team going on. Unless something happens, we could see something happen. You know, they have some they have some assets to play with if they if they think somebody's available. So I'm curious to see what this management team does.
1: They ha- they have hinted that they're not afraid to be aggressive in free agency, and you know if things break the right way, but unless the oceans part and the perfect situation comes to play, I feel like we're still in for a couple of seasons where they're not necessarily trying to compete, right? Right. They want their players to compete really hard and they want their young kids to especially compete really hard and, and learn the ropes and, and play the right way for the Montreal Canadians. And I like create an identity, but they don't necessarily want to be making the playoffs. We'll say, I think the whole Petrie thing, I was talking to a friend of mine during the game and he was like, yeah, you know, these guys, they might, uh, they might be a playoff bubble team next year with how St. Louis got them playing. And I was like, once they move Jeff Petrie in the off season, I think you're going to have a bit of a wake up call of how weak this defensive core actually is. I do think Schoonerman has kind of come in and been the Brett Kulak natural replacement, but there's still like you they didn't replace Shea Weber. They're going to lose Jeff Petrie again. Those are their two best guys. And as much as I don't think Ben Sherratt was a great player, he's still been a top four defenseman for this team for the last several years. Yeah. That's you know it's going to be all on Edmondson and Savard. And Savard wasn't really signed to be a top four. So there's going to be a lot of stress on those guys over the next couple of seasons here. And yeah, it, yeah I agree. You just you can't you can't overcome talent to that extent. Right. And,
0: and that's where they're going to have to get a couple guys, yeah. like a couple just and they don't have to be like, you're not going to get top two players. But if you can get a couple number fours just to hold the or maybe even a three, a three and a four or a couple fours, like they're not going to be massive acquisitions, but enough to hold like the tides back. I think that's probably enough for this Canadians team, unless something happens and develops and, you know, they can take advantage of a team that's under some duress and they have no choice, but to move some players. That's where Montreal is in a great position to go. We've got room. We'll gladly take this player. You know, we'll take care of you. We'll like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to help you. You know, they come in for that negotiation ploy. So I think there's some opportunity there. I am and that's why I think, you know, Prior to the Toffoli trade, I was really curious. I didn't know what direction this team is going to go in and how it was going to unfold. Now that the deadline's over, it's much easier for me to see the path moving forward because of what they've acquired. Okay, here are the here are some yeah. pieces. And now they're starting to move some pieces around the chessboard in terms of a rebuild. And then how long is that going to take? And I think it's going to take probably less time Because of the defensive prospects they have, if if they were more loaded on the offensive side, then I would have said, okay, this is going to take longer. Because you really need the D. It's much easier to find the young skilled forwards, and they don't take as long to get into the NHL. But D, you got to be careful with. So, I think they're in a much better position than they were. (laughs) And when we first talked, uh, we were like, you're like cringing a little bit. Ooh, this could be an ugly kind of turnaround, but I'm much more optimistic about where they are currently at this time.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's where everybody's opinions, I believe, outside of the people who are very upset about Arturia Lekanin, which I understand. And there was a comment here asking if I'm as upset as they are about Arturia Lekanin leaving. And listen, I said that I would prefer them keep Arturia Lekanen as a guy that helps the transition into the next core. But when you see the return, because we got to talk about that next. Speaking of defensemen, it's a natural transition and yeah. defensive prospects. When you see the return that the Montreal Canadiens got for Arturi and there's no way that Kent Hughes could have said no, right? It, it just no, it no. doesn't make sense for them long term yeah. for the franchise to balk at that. And like Kent Hughes said, up until one p.m. today, the plan was to keep him, and then Colorado came with that offer. So I know that. Uh, Shane, you've seen a lot of him. I've seen some conflicting information. A friend of the show, David St. Louis, who works for Elite Prospects, I believe, uh, said that he was not a fan of his progression so far since his draft. But then I've seen a few folks say that his progression in his draft plus two year has been really good in the American Hockey League. He's scoring a half point a game. So Shane... Who is Justin Barron, former first-round pick of the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche, now the primary asset in the return for Archery Lekkinen?
0: So, especially people who are based in the, in the queue and watching queue games more uh, regularly than others, he can be a bit of a polarizing player going into his draft year from that standpoint because he was drafted high in the queue, there was expectations, and there was some stumbling along in his first couple years with Halifax fully admit that but i think what i think some people have missed was is i think they underestimated his hockey sense because what he was a victim of of trying to do too much and they i think they i think some people interpreted that as a lack of hockey sense and sometimes when you get caught doing too much he reminded me a lot in this similarity to damon severson in his draft year so damon played for the Colonial rockets And the Colonial Rocks were notorious for playing their top four D heavy, heavy minutes. So by the time February hit, Damien Severson was playing 25 to 30 minutes a game. And he was done by the end of February going into the playoffs. He was spent. And I remember hanging out with the scouts and majority of them were like really down on him, except for one Glenn Dirk, who was a longtime scout for the New Jersey Devils. He goes, Nope, this kid's going to be a, second pairing D and these are the reasons why and he's burnt out mentally and emotionally and physically he's done they ran him out of gas and I thought Barron went through some similar things in his draft year but if you looked at the attributes I thought there was a lot of transferable in him particularly his retrieval rates he's has very very good mobility so his ability to retrieve the puck and skate with the puck and move it was transferable to the NHL. And I thought his hockey sense was much better than people gave it gave him credit for. So as I look at him, and then you look at his game as he transitioned into American League, a 20-year-old coming into the American League as a defenseman, that's a tough gig. Yeah. That is not easy. The American League is a meat grinder, and they chew up young defensemen. So based on what his production is, not just production, but then watching him play and having conversations – with Brian Wilsey, who's their director of player development in Colorado. And then as long with, and I had conversations with Craig Billington, their assistant GM who runs the Colorado Eagles. They both said that his transition was very, very good. to in some cases impressive for a young 20 year old. So what I project him to be is a three at worst, probably a four as a defenseman. And then when you're drafting defenseman in the first round, you're drafting a guy that you project is going to be a three or higher, or you're not drafting him in the first round that everything else goes into the second. So, you know, based on the conversations I've had, what I've seen, um, I think he has, he has such really strong mobility and he has good hockey sense. It's not great, but it's good, which is why I wouldn't project him any more more than a three. But if you have a guy like Arturi Lekinen, who's a good third line player on your team, but you have the opportunity to get a potential number three D man. You don't even blink. Right. You just plus go, the thank second you, round pick. Plus the second round plus pick. You pick. say thank you and you hang up the phone. Like you don't even like ask for anything more because it's too good to be true. In that respect, I understand what Colorado is doing and why they did it. And it wasn't that they didn't like Justin Barron; they did. It's just that they're gunning for the cup. And the yeah. West is much easier than the East. So I understand why they're doing it. So if I'm looking at it from a fan perspective of the Montreal Canadiens, I'm really happy with this deal. Now, don't expect them to be this right away. I'm talking about in his core prime years. So the kid's 20, going to be 21. So I'm, I'm talking about, you know, 24 to 30 that's his core going to be his core years. He's still going to need a little bit of time to get up to that point. But I would be very happy if I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. So when I saw that come on over, I, I mean, I sent you a message, right? Because I'm like, okay, this is this is exactly what they're looking for. It's that added piece along with with Caden Gooley that they need on the top Part of that defense core for those prospects, because you have Jordan Harris and 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 Jaden Struble coming, and cross your fingers that Josh Brook can stay healthy. You know maybe Norlander and you know Clegg and Fairbrother can kind of be that you know five six seven in that range six seven eight, but you know there's some pieces in there. Like do they have a number one defenseman in this core? Yeah. No, but I think you can build a really good core with threes and fours, or mostly threes. So, you know, they might get lucky in the draft and we'll see what happens happens over the next two years. But, you know, those players are a little bit farther away as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this also tells you, like, if you look at the trades that Hughes has done, I think, first of all, the credit has to be given that, like, uh, I forget who said it earlier today, but they were saying that uh, Hughes sets a price and he's not going to negotiate, essentially. Like, he, he publicly yeah. said what the prices were going to be. And he held firm until teams buckled, or he just didn't make the trade. And I think, as a new GM, that is incredibly strong behavior to send a message Whoa. across the league. And like, maybe it won't last forever because eventually well, you do well, he, have to he, give up somewhere. Yeah,
0: he's an agent, right? And the fact is, he he didn't have to make that trade for Leckner. Right. Exactly. So it's either you give me give me what I'm looking for, yeah. or we're going to keep him, and I'm good with that because I think one of the the big mistakes I've seen with general managers who haven't had a lot of experience maybe in practical business world of negotiating a lot of contracts is it's okay to walk away. It's okay. Yep. But, you know, they really feel that coercive pressure. So they feel like they have to do something. If they're not doing something, they're not moving forward. And sometimes the best play is to do nothing yep. is what we have is what we need. Right. And like you trade away a player, then you know, all of a sudden you turn around and like, God, I need that player again. <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't have traded him in the first place. So I think obviously from that standpoint, you know, Ken is, you know, he's negotiated so many contracts and other opportunities for his players. I don't think, you know, that type of negotiation is going to be an issue for him at all moving forward and maybe his strongest asset.
1: Yeah, I did. There was a funny quote going around that one of the GMs that Kent Hughes was talking to on deadline day said that oh, after he's been an agent for so long, like, oh, now you care about the salary. Counts. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now <laughs> it matters. Now it
1: matters. But if you look at the type of deals that Kent Hughes has been looking for or completing, everything essentially has been a pick and a prospect. So they want a, a, an asset that they have control of choosing and then they want an extra prospect to add to their pool. It none of them are like grade A number one blue chip prospects, but all of them seem to have seem to be players with potential that they feel that they can develop and mold into something. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this exhaustively on this show, the lack of player development under the previous regime. It seems like Hughes and Gorton, or as Lori likes to call them, Hugo, are putting a lot into the idea of building a real player development program and having the confidence in taking players from other systems and saying, listen, we think we're going to get the best out of them. And you see that with, uh, I was a that how we say his name, so Smilanic. Smilanic. that's how you say yeah. it. Smilanic. You see it with, uh, Emil Heinemann. You see it now with, uh, Baron, just- <laughs> 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 I'm just struggling to keep up with all the trades all these players that have come back they're really trying to they're filling the cupboards at like both short term and longer term which is something i find you can see the plan kind of formulate and take place the age range of all the players they're acquiring they're looking at about three years from now is when the first group of prospects is going to start making an impact and then you've got the draft picks that are going to be a year or two or three years after that. So they're kind of setting the table now for what they're going to be in, in years three through seven, we'll say of the Hugo regime.
2: For sure. And they, that's what, it, and it's, I agree. That That's, that's the piece that I would say with, with them is, um, you know, if, if there's a description that I would put on them that I, uh, that I haven't been able to say for the last 10 years is, is the deliberate picture um, and, and actually I think you saw, uh, Friedman say it where he said he gets what he wants. He sets a price and he gets what he wants he, or he doesn't make a deal. I actually wrote the same thing on Sunday, but I doubt that Friedman stole it from me, but it's, <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's something to be said for, uh, you know, it, it becomes, a, you know, it's, it's a style that's become apparent very quickly. We didn't know much about Hugo going into this trade deadline, but there was Toffoli where he said starting price was, a first round pick, and he they they saw that uh, Smolanic kid that they wanted, they knew when they wanted, and that's what they got. And, and two more pieces, and then they they said that he wanted for, for Sherrod, he wanted not only a first, he wanted a first in 2023, and that was the starting point, and He got it, and he knew the, the other kid coming back. Uh, and you know, I, I loved when they when they had their presser after the Sherrod deal, and he says, We don't have to move anybody. If we get if we get deals that we want, if we if someone offers a deal that fits for us, but we don't have to move anybody else. And that was the message. Make me a deal that I can't refuse. And then he went into it and, and Engels wrote it in an article earlier when he said, you know, like there's there's something to be said for going into, you know, a business process like this with an open mind instead of just deciding something. You know, how many times have we here with Bergevin? So and so is untouchable. And it would be the most ridiculous name that would be attached to the word untouchable. <laughs> it would just be like, in what world is that person untouchable when you're like in, in 30, 31st place in the league or whatever. Uh, but with these guys, it's, you know, they, they went in open-minded, but with no need to do anything. And they got, their, they got great deals out of it. And there's, if you're criticizing what happened today, you're, you're, you're missing the plot.
0: I, uh, I think they act like entrepreneurs, honestly. Like there's opportunity and we're going to take it. We can take advantage of it or we don't have to. And we can walk away. Here's our strategy, our overall vision. This is what we're looking for in terms. And like, and like you spelled it out really well, Andrew, in terms of we're going to get a prospect in that 20, 21 year old range, and we're going to get a pick and they're going to be a couple of years behind them, two to three. So we can like slowly, like there's always going to be a push from below. But as an entrepreneur, you have that opportunity. It's like you have an overall strategy, but it allows you to pivot. When market change and when opportunities present themselves, you're not stuck in that mindset. You're not caught by dogma. It's the one thing in, in a conversation I had briefly with, with Kent is that I got the impression that he wasn't someone that was going to get caught by dogma, being trapped by some, you know somebody else's thinking, and that we're going to treat operations Hockey operations, like an operations department, like an actual business, because that's what it is, right? I, I like it. I I find it comical when people say, "Oh, you mean the business side or the hockey side?" I mean, and I say, "Oh, you mean the business side," because they're both business. It just operations. They just. I think the worst thing that ever happened to hockey operations is the word "hockey" in front of it because it's not treated like operations, right? You're, it's still yeah. strategic management. It's still performance sure. management, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, I, it's a, for me, even though I'm not a Montreal fan at all, I find it refreshing to watch this whole situation unfold because I find it an interesting case study of strategic decision-making processes as it plays out in real time. So for me, I find it interesting from that respect. So, you know, I think that double headed, that two headed monster in Montreal, it may end up being a template for a lot of other teams and owners to watch moving forward.
1: Yeah, it's going to be funny. And I think that we're going to see in the summer, they are going to add some more value here. I know that there was. I think it was uh, LeBron saying that uh, the offer, no, it wasn't LeBron. It was somebody in the Francophone sphere saying the offers for uh, Jeff Petrie were like, you pay us essentially to take him. I think come summer, that's not going to be the case. Uh, When there's a little bit more freedom of the cap, you you can figure out a situation for Jeff Petrie. I don't think they're going to get a huge haul for him because he has term left, but Since Marty St. Louis has been here, he's been pretty much the same Jeff Petrie as before, just without the offense, because he's not playing on the power play much. I think they're going to still get uh, something for him. And one thing to look out for, I know that Kent Hughes mentioned it today, was they're looking to trade Shea Weber's contract. With the way that that contract is structured and how there's only $6 million left on it, but there's almost $8 million a year left for four more years. I would not be surprised to see a team like the Arizona Coyotes who are cash yeah. poor but want to make the cap floor pay a significant amount of assets in terms of draft picks to acquire that contract, which would allow them to essentially yeah. skirt the salary cap floor.
0: And and they can get away with it because they've accumulated all those seconds and third round exactly. picks. Yeah. Right? So then that means you can turn around. They can say to Montreal, okay, well, we don't want to give you the, like, the top end of our second round picks, but maybe we'll give you a bottom end second, like a low second, or maybe like a low third. And for, for Montreal, those are just the additional assets. Like yeah. even if you get thirds, those are the ones that you okay. package yeah. together. Yeah. Those are the ones you package yeah. together to potentially get a couple more veteran defensemen to insulate until these young prospect defensemen are ready to go. Cause if you look at, and and Andrew, you and I talked about this, prior is understanding what the percentage chance of these draft picks in the third round can to actually turn into NHL players. It's really actually quite low. So when you understand the value of a draft pick in terms of its percentage chance of playing, then you can turn around and actually say, well, let's utilize these for fide NHL players. And people may turn around and say, well, the guy's only a f- number five defenseman, or maybe he's only a number four. Why would you give up those assets? Well, I mean you might have a 30% chance of getting that player anyway in the draft. And that may take five years to get them to turn into that player. So or more. Or more, <laughs> right? You know, and that's a perfect example. There was like some m- multiple players that have taken five to seven years. Anytime I had Yarmo Cake Lane on our show, he's like five to seven years. Like, unless you're an outlier, it's just those are, that's the way it is. And if you want to look at historical data, it'll tell you the same thing. And so I went and did it, and he was right. And that's just the way it is. But you can really leverage the th- those third and fourth round picks. So if they can get some little bit of asset out of moving Petrie, and then take that that cap, and then go after some veterans, I think this, I think they don't they just don't want to put their young players, particularly their forwards and their defense, into a situation where they're just getting bombarded every day, like Arizona, just getting hammered, and taking these and or bu- in a situation like Buffalo. Where you don't want such a negative, awful situation of constant losing to infect the room and in alter the the chemistry and the culture that's being rebuilt there. So I think you just don't want to deter what you know Marty's doing in the locker room with his players.
2: Yeah, Hugh said that he he felt optimistic that they could get something done with Weber. And really they don't, they don't need a haul for Weber. They don't need to get anything for Weber. They need to cap space from Weber and to be free from that. And and in some ways come summer, in some ways, you know, something similar can be said with Petrie. I suspect they might've been able to move Petrie at the deadline. If they would take back another crappy contract, maybe, and, and, you know, and maybe get an asset along with, but in order for, for another team to make it work, they'd have to, you know, take on a really bad contract. And, and, now, that doesn't serve the purpose for, for the Habs that, that they'd really like to have served. If you're losing, uh, if you're losing Petrie, you want something coming back that's much the same, which is unlikely at this stage, or you want the cap space. And you know if they can get an asset in there as well. but I think, I think the biggest haul on uh, where Petrie's concerned is if they're able to move him and not be stuck with too much of a return in terms of cap space, they can actually gain some significant cap space in move him.
0: It could be, you don't want to be in a situation where Edmonton was in with Milan Lucic and they turn around and get James Neal. Right. And yes, they, they, they saved a little bit, but in the end of the day, it was still another albatross contract yeah. and they just, Montreal can't be stuck in that situation. You're better off being patient because now they have the time to be patient. Yeah. Yeah. They can wait on it. And that's where you wait for that deal to come about. And you start searching for that type of deal to get that. So you're not in any kind of panic from like, basically from now until the draft, it, it's a focus of like, okay, yeah. like moving forward, let's set the stage to get, make this happen for both those contracts for the Weber and for the Petrie. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they pull that off as they get towards the, the draft in Montreal.
1: Well, and I think we should also say like, as much as taking back Logos uh, helped facilitate the deal for Edmonton for for Brett Kulak, uh, taking back a body who can play in the NHL on defense yeah. while you're losing Value. all these yeah. like, And it's a player who, if they, he doesn't play 18 games, there's only 19 games left. It's probably pretty unlikely that he plays 18 games is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So they don't have any attachment, right? They're, they're not stuck with the player that they took back. I, I, it's hard to even put into words how impressed I am with how they handled this deadline. Like the whole deadline season, it's, I was a little bit underwhelmed by the Toffoli trade, but I think part of the issue there is people who are more on the analytical side value Tyler Toffoli more than hockey people. And maybe if they waited, they could have gotten a little bit more for Toffoli. But they like, it seems like everything that they've done has been not only intentional for the team, but they're also doing things where they're trying to make the players that are going out happy as well. Yeah. You know, the, the Toffoli seem to be very happy to go to Calgary, uh, sending Andrew Hammond to New Jersey. So he has a chance to yeah. play more NHL games this season and him saying on in the press conference, like, yeah, he's earned more NHL games. I don't want him to go to the American hockey league, stuff like that, where every player that they talk to, who's leaving the organization, Ben Chirot's currently able to practice in Brassard until right. he joins the Panthers when they're here, all these interpersonal decisions Just speak as such an excellent manager. There's no bridges burnt. Nobody's upset. And not everybody is going to be, you know, a direct thing that comes back. But word spreads around, around the league, right? Yeah, players players talk talk. all the time. And I I look at what's being built, both in terms of assets and in terms of personal management and culture. It's a very bright situation for the Canadians.
2: Yeah. The way Ben Sherratt talked when he left in particular, I noticed, and he was just, you kind of felt a little bit that he was sad to, you know, he's, he's, he was happy to be going to a, a playoff opportunity, but you could tell he was sad to, that he was leaving at the end of what he knew was going to be a good turnaround, uh, had, had nothing but good. And, and like, you know, he was a Bergeman, Bergeman man, like he was brought in by Burge, and he, you know, had nothing but good to say about him as well, but, you know, and and he was leaving, by the hands of the new management. But he uh, he had nothing but good to say about them and, and saw a really strong future for the team and and spoke so highly of the kids there and and you know the, the plans that were in place going forward. That you know as Shane said, that spreads. It just it's just a culture of being professional and not having nonsense floating around you and, and people griping about you know silly things that have unfolded that and and Montreal has had a few of that and not just under Bergevin's time like there's there's a few stories over the years of of just unprofessional things that have unfolded that they can they can stand to clean up a little bit from it's 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 nice to see remember the
0: first time I came on Andrew we were talking about culture and like organizational legacy and you know from an outsider's perspective when i think of the Montreal Canadians you know I think of Jean Beliveau. So when you're trying, when you're conducting yourself, if you're within that organization, like anytime you speak to somebody, anytime you have like relationships with somebody, if you're working for the Montreal Canadiens, the first thing in your mind should be, what would Mr. Beliveau do? Because he should really, like the way he treated other people should be part of the the culture of how you treat people. Right, there are certain people within your organization that is a legacy that bring that forward. It's it does and it go, goes from one generation to another generation. And sometimes you sort of stumble and forget that. But from an outside perspective, and sometimes sort of you, you miss you forget about it when you're inside the organization. But any person I spoke to, like, what do you think of like the Montreal? What do you, what do you think about when the Montreal Canadians and how they do things? It's always generally classy. And they think about Jean Beliveau. So, you know, it's just something that the organization can attach itself to. Like when in doubt, like conduct yourself like Jean Beliveau. To me, that's a good tether. Yeah, Yeah. because it's your it's your anchor point. That is like you plant a flag and this is who we are. And this is why we do things. And, you know, if you want to come and join us, you're more than welcome. But this is how you're going to behave And this is how you're going to treat people. And this is how you're going to conduct yourself in this organization. And when you do that, boy, do things, good things happen to you because you attract really good people. And the people that are there will break their back for the organization, player, staff. Like, it doesn't matter because they know that they're doing something that feels valued. Right. And you may not win but boy, you'll enjoy being there. It was, it's kind of like the Detroit Red Wings back in like when Mike Illich took over the organization and, you know, Jimmy Delavano came there and they just started changing things. And Mike and, you know, and, and Mike Smith and, and then Smith Smith came in and then Kenny Holland and they just, things changed. And it was all about like, you know, treat people great. Mike, you know, and Mike Illich and, and Mary and his wife were kind of that rock. And that's, you know, I think Montreal kind of forgot about that a little bit. So, and they have an opportunity to like reestablish that again, because it didn't go away. It just sometimes you sort of forget who you are when it's, it's a crazy situation, pro sports, right. And you get caught up in things. Just don't forget who you are. I mean, absolutely. I'm not a Montreal fan, but I have ultimate respect for the organization because of what they've done in the past.
1: Yeah. And I will, like, we, we should also say like, we are also in the kind of like the honeymoon period for this new regime. Obviously there will be mistakes in the future because nobody's perfect. Everyone's going to make them. And of course we will strive to be fair when that happens, but it is good to see direction, vision, clarity being laid out before us as people who follow the team as for people who are fans of the team, all that it's all good news, but I suppose we should also talk a little bit about the game (laughs) because we can't focus all on trade deadline. Uh, This was a game. I think my main takeaway from this game is that eventually Suzuki and Caulfield were going to have a bad night and this was it. They, they did not have a great night tonight. They've been absolutely dynamite essentially the entire time under St. Louis, but I, I think one thing that I noticed when St. Louis came in is Suzuki was no longer necessarily always the tough minutes matchup guy. They kind of moved that onto Lekkonen. And then he was freed up a little bit to play with Caulfield. And same kind of thing where they stopped sheltering Chris Wideman, which if you go look at the splits between Chris Wideman's like underlying numbers under Ducharme and under St. Louis, he was like one of the most sheltered defensemen in the league under Ducharme and his underlying numbers were spectacular. And now he's just been getting sewered since he's been exposed to regular minutes. So Lekkonen's numbers took a bit of a drop and Suzuki and Caulfield way up into the air, right? Without Lekkonen there to insulate.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, they're getting hurt a little bit more and against the Bruins team that is deep and has some, Excellent defensive forwards. It seemed like they didn't have too much air to breathe out there. And obviously they still got to overtime, but the Caulfield Suzuki miscommunication comes back to haunt them. And Brad yeah. Marchand is Brad Marchand.
2: I don't know if you heard, but, uh, they plan to play like uh, Lycanum with new hook. Uh, so speaking of sheltering and, and giving kid, uh, kids some support, right. Just uh, makes sense. Just, yep. just a brilliant, brilliant thinking right away. You can see the, the, the wisdom in that, but one of the things that, uh, you know, talking about what they might do in the off season in terms of adding or whatever, you know, the, the thing that becomes more and more apparent when you're watching the Habs right now is they need another center behind Suzuki that is mature and, and can carry some of those minutes. Um, maybe Dvorak becomes that, I don't know. Uh, but you know, right now you've got Dufan and, uh, Evans and Paling when he's healthy, who, you know, are all kind of, uh, you know, Duffin is probably your 13, 14 on a good night. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other two guys are kind of, you know, you're probably your 4C. So, you know, if you've got Dvorak at three and one of the others at four, uh, who's who's your two C? Maybe that's Shane Wright, uh, but that's an awful lot to put on the kid.
0: One hundred percent. Yeah, that's yeah, where you so probably put Dvorak. Like if things work out, you put Dvorak right. as the two, and then you surround Dvorak with some like offensive wingers to like push, and he actually plays that traditional defensive center role, but still will get points because I'm actually even of the thought. It's funny you brought right up, even though I thought. Savard's sick backhand was going to make it, was going to turn that turn that game around because that was nice. <laughs> that was, that um, was really nice. nice. <laughs> it was really nice. Like I actually jumped out of my seat a little bit. But, oh look at look at David Savard right. Like, he like, does oh,
1: that. He, he's done that of, like six or seven times. <laughs> Most yeah. of the time it doesn't lead to anything, but eventually he got rewarded. That was really nice to see in his first game back, by the way. So yeah. credit to David, I mean, David Savard.
0: I, I'm gonna I'll drop this bomb for you guys this right way, just in case right comes to the Montreal Canadiens, I would send them back to junior.
2: I, I wonder the same thing.
0: I would send them back to junior. Yeah. And I think, and the reason why I say that is because of the lost time of last year of yes. not getting that, that games played yeah. and how critical that is for his uh, development. And there's no rush to bring him in as much as like you, there's always the pressure and everybody plays their number one. Like first overall pick. I think this is an only year where I think you can get away with that and the public won't skewer you for it. Yeah. Yeah. But this Shane Wright, don't listen to the detractors. This kid is a strong two way serious hombre like he (laughs) is. He's like all business. Um, my old co-host Russ Cohen did an, a really great interview with him and he came and Russ isn't rare. He's rarely that impressed because he does lots of prospect profiles and he was impressed with just the kid's mentality and his emotional control at that age. And he goes, Oh, don't worry about it. I hear about all the stuff that's being talked about me and it's okay because <laughs> it doesn't matter. Cause they want to
1: important. tune it out that, it, it, said yeah. to the Montreal market. I'll say that yeah.
0: right. It's not yeah. important because, you know, I'm like, it's just a process. Like yeah. he's a process kid. It's kind of like I know it's not doesn't sound very exciting, but that's how he's going to get through. Um, and I, he's not going to be a dynamic player, but he's a guy that you're going to want as a, like a top top two center going into the playoffs. Like he's you're going to want him. So we, we're, it'll be curious to see what happens. Uh, with Montreal it's great that Montreal like potentially get the first overall pick and then they're hosting the draft that's fun times that's so a
1: fun time. yeah, yeah. In, in regards to Suzuki Sarah Y brings up a good point here she says the next 20 games can't go fast enough for him he's tired and, and he's taking therapy days skipping the optional skates he's played every single game for the last three seasons he has to be wiped out he is the only Canadians player who didn't get yeah. COVID this year which is yeah. crazy uh, also, over the last several, like the last stretch of games here, he is playing a ton of minutes. He played over twenty minutes tonight. Uh, last, he didn't play as much against Ottawa, but he was like twenty-two fifty against Dallas, twenty-three yeah. yeah. twenty-seven against Philly, That's add up. Like yeah. eventually, you get tired, and especially as we mentioned, a guy with no insulation, yeah, now, right. Like he's he asked to do everything. He's the number one pick. From the coaching staff in every situation, he's not going to be amazing every single night. I'm not. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. It's it's just reality. Hey, the, the other game. teams are good too. That that's right. Other teams <laughs> yeah. have great players. He's facing like Patrice frigging Bergeron. And I know Bergeron's getting old, but he's still frigging incredible. Yeah.
2: So they they need they need to bring in another center this summer. I, I like that. That's that's my my take on it. That yeah. they need to bring in another, even if it's a short term a uh, guy who, you know, if he's not, you know, absolutely brilliant. Like, I think a guy like trochek you know, not, not the guy that you want to uh, be, you know, he's not necessarily a guy that you choose if you're going on a cup run, but for, uh, you know, someone who can fill in in the 2C, 2, 3C two, hole, however you want to split that between him and Dvorak and give whoever they draft some time to develop properly. Um, I, I don't, you know, like that, that's just one idea. There's two
0: other guys. Right. I mean, they, or they could end up doing it similar, like they have, they go find somebody similar to Dvorak yeah. in that skill set. And you have two guys who can just insulate in that. You don't necessarily have yeah. to have, I, I think sometimes we get caught, and so do teams get caught in that traditional roster construction model of one, two, three, four. Yeah. yeah. And I think in some cases, depending on how you construct your team, it's actually, it can be outdated. Like, why couldn't you potentially have two number two lines and two number three lines instead of having a one, two, three, four, where it's so t- like, look at the Maple Leafs and that ridiculous top heavy, yeah.
2: you know,
0: three guys they have and how it's such a detriment where what I trade off, like, what is that? $30 million? Would I rather have six forwards at 5 million apiece than those three guys? I think I would actually. I mean,
1: I think I'd I think, want to keep Matthews. <laughs> okay, maybe that. I think he's probably maybe worth about like Matthews. fifteen or sixteen million a year. But right.
0: just in terms of it's like the, the value yeah. of what you could bring to your organization in terms of like just rolling lines and not having some like punching bag fourth line or a punching bag third pairing D. I just I don't know. I, I think Montreal is in a really interesting situation because they. Have the opportunity now to do anything with their roster, yeah. like they really do yeah. especially once they move Weber and they move Petrie, they can they got a lot yeah. of options on the table, and they don't necessarily have to follow a traditional model. They could change some things up um, because I'm not entirely convinced whether Shane Wright is the traditional like like offensive juggernaut number one center. he might be more of And I'm not saying he's going to be this player. I'm just saying stylistically. So don't message me and yell at me like the Jonathan Taves style of 65 points a year. But he's really really strong two way and like brings all these other other attributes to the game. And I'm willing to sacrifice the 15 points or the 20 points. For somebody who can bring 70 points a year, 65, 70 points a year, but takes care of all the other things and allows more offensive zone starts for a guy like Suzuki and can carry a bit of a load that way. See, that's where that balance comes in. So you're looking at sort of a roster construction instead of like the fantasy hockey mentality of trying to get the best slam, the best players in. And because that doesn't always work. I mean, otherwise, the Edmonton Oilers would have won multiple cops with all their first overall picks and their first round picks that were forwards just didn't work out that way.
1: Yeah, of course. I feel like if the Canadians had essentially Jonathan Taves in his prime alongside Nick Suzuki, a lot of people would be real happy.
0: We'd be okay with that. Yeah, 100%. I don't think anybody would complain. (laughs) I'm not saying he's going to be Jonathan Taves. so Don't yell at me, right? Because they get stuck. But stylistically, I actually see a lot of comparables that way in terms of the weight, um, right place. Yeah.
1: Well, I think even if you had like Jonathan Taves minus 20%, say, I think that like, I don't think Taves really had a second line center of Nick Suzuki's caliber and he won three Stanley cups, you know, like you still have to find, uh, the rest of the pieces obviously, but that's a damn good start if they're able to pull that off. And I know that even down to Logan Cooley, who I think is now ranked fourth or fifth, the top of the draft is pretty solid this year. It's just not any players who are going to jump in right away and that's. Pretty much the perfect okay. situation for the Montreal Canadiens yeah. anyway, because they don't want to get way better right away. So they want to be patient uh, back to the game, but kind of tangential to trade deadline. There was a few comments tonight asking about Jake Allen, who obviously had an wow. absolutely
0: brilliant
1: yeah. night and has been, I think, spectacular. He's been really
0: good since he's come back. Yeah. Yes, really every good.
1: game he's been spectacular now i'm kind of shocked that he wasn't traded and a lot of people have been mentioning like why didn't toronto just buckle down and and trade the assets or, for or jake edmonton. allen or edmonton yeah. i'm not sure what's going on with the edmonton i don't know if it's a cap issue or what but just from what i heard the main reason why you might not see any movement between toronto and montreal over the next little while even though they had some moves that happened over the last few years is Toronto took last season's playoff loss personally. And from Shanahan <laughs> down, that team absolutely friggin hates the Montreal Canadiens right now. So the Jake Allen thing to Toronto was probably never going to happen. Their, their, their wow. personal views cloud I mean, their own judgment a little bit.
0: I would, I would be disappointed if that was true. Because I would think that both Brendan and Kyle have enough wherewithal to be able to separate their themselves emotionally from the situation. I think it'd be just more, they just couldn't find a way to make that fit, but Jake would have been a massive addition to both those organizations going into the playoffs. And, you know, I think sometimes he gets underappreciated. Do I think he like, I think he's a good one B goalie in this league
1: exactly what he like, is.
0: He's a good one yeah. B in this goal in this. So, and I have to be a little bit nice to him because um, I know his father-in-law really well. So <laughs> we, I'll end up getting yelled at at the, in the Legion if I don't say something nice about Jake, but no, I think he's a good one B and, and for a team that's going into like, cause we don't know what's happening with Carrie price. He could come back and play. He might not. Um, that's a guy that you, you can't feed your team to the wolves, you need a goalie back there that's going to be able to handle some workload that way and not get rattled by it. Cause he's a kind of like, well, I'm not, he doesn't get emotionally rattled when things go bad, which is what you're going to need. Cause there's going to be some mistakes in front of them as this team transitions, right? It's going to, there's going to be some ugly times. And there's a honeymoon period here. Like, you know, obviously what happened with the trade and everybody's excited. Everybody's happy with Marty as a coach and there's a new breath in the organization. And, you know, there's a cloud. So everybody's, you're still in the honeymoon phase, but next year, you know, there, there could be some beatings, right. Yep. There could be some tough runs where, yeah. you know, in 10 games, it's a two, seven and one or a two and eight. And that could happen a couple times. So I, I'd be wary to get rid of a guy like Jake, because what yeah. happens if Kerry doesn't come back?
2: I think, I think that was a Hughes call. He had, he had said that he wasn't looking to move a goalie. And I think he kind of meant that. Because I think there's too much up in the air with, with the net in Montreal. I mean, in terms of what the Leafs are thinking, you know, I, I don't, I would have said that Shanahan and Dubas would, would have more, you know, be more professional about it than that. Dubas in his post-deadline presser today, I thought was a little edgy. And uh, was, was probably a little more emotional than we've seen him. Uh, I think he would have liked to do more. If that's, I mean, like, there wasn't one deal the Habs made today that the Leafs couldn't have benefited from. Yeah. Everybody the Habs moved today, the Leafs could have used. And if, if that's where they are, that they're, uh, they're thinking, you know, Leckinan would have looked really good in the bottom six on that team. Um, you know, they could have used Kulak, they could have used Hammond, for God's sake. Like, you know, right now their, their situation with the net is not, you know, but Dubas is not concerned. Uh, I, there's something not quite adding up with the situation in Toronto. Yeah. I, I know that he was really upset about uh,
1: the whole conversations with Chicago being leaked. Oh yeah. With Kyle, yeah, you know, Kyle Davidson.
0: And yeah. now I would, in my conversation was with Kyle Davidson. So I've spoken to him at length uh, multiple times. I would be surprised if that it leaked out of him. I'm, I would be more say it's leaking out of agents. And I know a lot of agents and, you know, they have their own best interests and their players, both interest. And, you know, look, favors get paid out yep. to, to media members, right? You scratch my back, I scratch yours. And sometimes you got to like, as an agent or a media member, you, you know, you got to pay your bill when it comes in. Right. If you make those kind of deals. So, um, you know, being around the industry for 22 years, um, I probably could write five books on things I'm not allowed to say. Um, And then, you know, there is once in a while where you have to trade information because you owe that person, you know,
1: what do you got? I feel like there's another side to it as well that, and Shane, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but with the Blackhawks negotiating with multiple teams, the flurry trade and i know that flurry nix trades to other areas and essentially was only going to go to the minnesota wild but in order to negotiate there is a chance essentially that davidson could have said well these are like the teams that are knocking the door on flurry so you got to pay up and then someone in another organization could have leaked that the leaf yeah because like let's face yeah. it i i think that there's this notion in toronto that other teams should do the Leafs favors. Like teams used to do favors for like the Blackhawks when they were doing their cup runs, giving them cap space for free. And they seem to kind of do favors for the lightning too. But like the Leafs are the bad guy. Let's all like, we got to recognize that, right? They, they're the ones with all the money who try to kind of hoard everything. And the fact that they can't get over the hump, I think most other teams in the league really greatly enjoy that and enjoy yeah. twisting the knife. Like you see the Citeri, uh claim on waivers yes. and people yes. kind of were laughing their butts off on Twitter. I don't see what Arizona necessarily gains from that. I know they had a goalie injury, but they could have promoted they, somebody within they the whole organization. They didn't need to do that. I think they did that because Toronto signed him.
2: Well, and, and Dubas was pissed, right? Like yeah. he was, he, he, it is, it is, it is, presser he 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 dwelled on the whole number of waiver claims that the Leafs have experienced this year as though it was a big conspiracy a little bit like the Habs uh, conspiracy about refing right uh you know like the way he talked about it was a little bit bizarre that you know like we you know we're players come here and we show them off and then you all take them from us on waivers did like was there anybody on the planet who thought that that goalie was making it to the Like it was just, it was just set up for someone to claim him. Uh, I was waiting for Edmonton to claim him, uh, yeah. right? You know, like it, th- there was, there were, there were teams for whom that made sense to do. wouldn't it's, surprise it's, me. If- it's an
0: a- it, yeah. Look, goaltenders are commodity. It's an yeah. asset. It's a free asset. We're going to add them to the organization. Like you're in Arizona's situation. It's all free money to them. Yep. So why not claim them? Like if I was in Bill Armstrong's situation, I would have claimed him too. And it had nothing to do with Toronto. It's just like, wait a minute, you're giving me a free asset, somebody who can be a number three goaltender or a backup in a pinch for me. Done. Yeah. Thank you. Come again. You know, I don't I don't see the problem with that. And then, you know, the Kyle Davidson comment, all I think that was not that'd be more outside of Kyle Davidson, then, you know, I don't, I would be shocked if that was leaked by Kyle, like based on the conversations I've had with him and he's been in the industry for like a decade. So he knows better not to do that. And I never got the impression that that would be something he would do. So I don't think it was him. I would be shocked.
1: I think the main takeaway is we need a Kyle versus Kyle steel cage match in a barn <laughs> the barn that uh brian burke rented for him and kevin low to fight in way back in the day i know that's probably a uh, reference that's a little bit dated for our audience here because it's usually... okay uh, see that.
0: oh i'm uh I'll, I'll be a commentator on the side
1: yeah. that'd be great <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: oh yeah
1: live play by
2: play
0: we're certainly some wrestling i mean you know? no I, we're just we're just obviously kidding but i mean it's just um
2: That'd be the skinniest you know, cage match in the history of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>,
0: okay. <no kidding. laughs> Fit through the slots and they
2: steal. They didn't fall through the cage. They're so skinny the
1: two of them. <laughs> oh man. That I mean, hey, I'm all for GMs, you know, giving it to each other a little bit more publicly. Because I think the league is overall a bit too soft on each other. I, I feel like nobody wants to do things like yeah. uh, well, sign you gotta off you gotta,
0: do, to each, you gotta right? deal with each other.
1: You do, but it's also a competition.
0: Yes, but I mean, the other thing is, it's also you may not be long for the world in terms of your job, right? Like, look at tenure. So if you make it five, seven years, and then you get axed, you're looking for another job. If you make enemies of the majority of the GMs, you're unlikely to get one of those senior advisor positions, right? Until you find yourself another job. So that matters. Plus, you got to deal with people. You can't afford to be a jerk and like piss off, you know, three quarters of of the league because you just get a reputation and no one wants to deal with you. And I've heard of GMs that that's happened to, and they're not GMs anymore, and they will probably never be GMs again.
2: Are they
0: special advisors? No, they are no longer special advisors either, right? So, you know, um, and I tease the guys who I know that are special. Oh, you're a special advisor. He goes, of course I'm special, right? And they have a good laugh about it, right? But they know, right? It's their way to keep in the game and then get a chance to get back into the big seat again.
1: Absolutely. All right. Uh, Was there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about with this deadline? I know there's been a few comments about this Dadinov trade between Vegas and Anaheim. I don't know if we really have time to get into the nitty gritty of that, but there seems to be some shenanigans going on. That Dadinov had a no trade clause, but the papers on it weren't filed. I don't know if it's the agent or the team responsible for that, but if it's the team, that's.
0: Well, no, no, that's, that's, no no that's the team's responsibility it's not yeah. the agent's responsibility the, the team has the paperwork on file and that goes to central registry
1: so the team so Vegas signed a contract with a no trade clause but never filed the no trade the central registry for Dadanov and then they traded him without his approval
0: maybe that is what I'm that's not a clear huge of huge allegation right like, like that's- I don't see because I don't know because yeah like it is the team's responsibility to have that on file. And that goes to central like NHL central registry because NHL central registry is the judge jury and executioner of all acquisitions in the league. And if you don't do it right, they will like give you the big red rubber stamp and veto. You don't get to do it. So, and they follow the letter of the law. So, I'm curious to see how what like how this sort of kind of like comes apart to find out what's going on because if it is on the team side, um, that's a big clerical error. Yeah, on so there, this is on, on. Yeah, this is
1: from Elliot Friedman. He says there were some rumors I heard them too that the deal for Dadnov and Moore between Anaheim and Vegas was not in the queue before 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and would and neither of them would be eligible to play this season. That's not correct. They can play, he said. On Dadnov's no trade. Apparently, his no trade was not officially submitted, thereby making him eligible to be moved anywhere. It's infrequent, but it does happen. The most recent known case is Patrick Berglund, who, in case anybody forgot, right. he was traded to Buffalo. It wasn't very long after he just he up ref- and retired. Yeah, refused to,
0: yeah, yeah, he he refused refused to, to play. Report.
1: Uh, he was very upset about that whole situation, and Friedman just updated four minutes ago that this trade is now officially in dispute. This is absolute mayhem. I feel, Shane. Do you know offhand if there's any recourse for Dadnov if the team legitimately messed up and didn't file that no-trade clause, but he signed a contract?
0: Now I, I have I have the binder here of um, the collective bargaining agreement but I don't think we have enough time for me to rifle through that and then read it through and (laughs) give you you my legal interpretation of what that is. But I do read through those clauses on a, on a pretty regular basis just out of sick curiosity. So there could, I I think the, any, uh, the player association would certainly look into that and make sure if the, he had any kind of recourse, but I'm not sure how this is going to play out.
2: Right. would the trade not be nixed? If he, if he was... I, th- I, think I think
0: so. It, I think it would be vetoed. But then what yeah. happens with Dadnoff is he goes back to Vegas. I'm like, oh, he mm. wanted to get rid of me, and now, like, I'm here. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's awkward. just like... Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not awkward for him with his teammates, because his teammates no. will understand. But it's just awkward with the management. Like... Now management has got to go down and like <laughs> Kelly's going to go down there, explain himself. Right. If it's, tr- if it is that, so we don't know yet. Right. So there's still some, there's some missing information. Um, and I'm sure by tomorrow we're going to get like full information, but it is to me a, once again, an interesting case study of, you know, if this is, if this is true, make sure you do your paperwork,
2: you know, yeah.
1: I mean, I would imagine that this kind of thing, and I I honestly never heard that this was the situation with Berglund until today. Maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention when it happened, but I would imagine that players and agents specifically who see this kind of thing happen would not be that happy to deal with that team in the future, right? Well, well, I mean, I'm, really asking, like...
0: I, I'm asking who's responsible for that. Somebody yeah. in Vegas is responsible for filing. Usually it's your assistant GM that's responsible for your negotiations and cap. And they're, they're responsible for filing to central scouting, uh, not for central scouting for initial central registry. um, Excuse me. So that's their responsibility. It may not be like, yes, the GM at the end of the day has full responsibility. He's the general manager, but there is somebody who's delegated to do that paperwork and file it properly.
2: There's the paperwork piece of it, and, and somebody dropped the ball in the filing, but the reality is the crowd uh, setting up the trade had to know that they negotiated another deal that had a no trade in it, and yet you're marching on. like it's, Well, I'm,
0: yeah. You know, I know yeah. and if you're trading a player, usually the agent is made aware. Usually. Yeah. The, the agent's made aware, so if that the agent should have been made aware. and, and Flurry say, is saying, excuse I wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, hey, by the way, you know, like he isn't like, what are we doing? Like, we haven't submitted our teams if there's a no trade in that, right? Or there's maybe it was limited. I don't know what the clause was. So that's a whole other factor. Like could have been 15 teams, 10 teams, five teams. We don't know. But if you're the agent, you're involved in that. Okay. Oh, here's the, here's the submitted teams that he will or will not go to. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't know, but I I, I tell you wild. tomorrow, like it's gonna be that's gonna be the first thing I'm interested in. It's gonna, yeah. no, it's gonna like, okay, how what happened here?
1: And yeah, like I my mean, question it, is in it if a team acts in this manner and like say it's even if it is a legitimate mistake, you still made the trade, knowing there should have been a no trade clause and basically ignored it, so you're taking advantage of this mistake. Like, obviously, there was no league recourse against the St. Louis Blues, but like, shouldn't the team be fined for acting in this way? Or like, it just, well, I mean, I like, I'm not,
0: I wouldn't, I'm not going to assume that there was, it was intentional in any way. It simply could have been like, it could be something as easy as like, you didn't know, or like you had totally forgotten or like. You know, yeah. I have actually heard in some cases where the is like contracts done and that the general manager didn't know the full details of the actual contract. Knew like the term and how how many years, but didn't know the details of like the yeah. no movement, no trade like that. I have heard that's happened in the past. It never, nothing bad ever come from it. But so I'm not going to say or suggest there's anything nefarious in that respect. I'm just now I'm really curious to see how this all plays out because okay, now this is fascinating. Like, this is probably the most interesting thing that's happened in the trade deadline for me, right? Cause, Aside from I mean, Kevin Weeks. Yeah. Kevin Weeks and <laughs> his crazy backgrounds, like, <laughs> yeah. sure, you know, like, you know, garbage can on the head. Good for you, buddy. Like, I appreciate that. Like, that was entertaining. But, you know, Every trade, I like I don't know, this is like since I've been doing this, this is like my twenty second or twenty third trade deadline, so they've all kind of blurred into one, right? Like just like the drafts. Um, but when something like this happens, then it takes you know it takes notice.
2: So, I mean, if, it's so if, if the league lets it ride, what's the, why would a team bother honoring no trades?
0: Well, I mean the league will. They league has no choice but to honor. A no trade if it's in the contract yeah. they don't have a choice and, and the NHLPA will say you have no choice I mean the league is actually really good about honoring all its contracts so I don't have a problem with that And any so central scouting uh, why do I keep central scouting force a habit uh, <laughs> central registry like they're the judge during execution I can I can't tell you how many times they've come back and said no you can't do this trade or no yeah. you can't do this contract like you got to fix it like here are the parameters of the to bargaining agreement like it doesn't meet these articles in these sections go back and fix it right yeah, another, and that's, what they're, there, another and that's layered, what they're there
1: for yeah. another layer to this is apparently it's Ottawa who signed that contract and there's oh, someone yeah. saying in the stream chat now that uh, it's possible that Ottawa did not send the paperwork to Vegas that would explain why Vegas acted in this way
0: that, if that's the case I, then yeah. Ottawa should get the smack yes now the question should be is removed
2: from the uh, draft lottery um <laughs>
1: Lori's <laughs> acting selfishly now
0: <laughs> Ooh, that's harsh but um i like good for you um uh yeah and i'm trying to think okay when when did dadenoff move from ottawa was that a year ago
1: i i think it was right before the season let's see here In yeah if
0: it was it, it, it was before the season that that means that would have been that would be Peter McTavish's responsibility. He's the assistant GM in Ottawa, responsible for the contracts and the cap management. That'd be his responsibility to send that paperwork to Vegas. This is, this so is the craziest
1: the, story of the day for sure.
0: Oh, now I'm now now that there's like another party involved, another team, this just makes it even more interesting. Like Like a series of like of mistakes. It's like the guns of August for hockey, like misunderstandings and mistakes all the way through, right? So now it didn't cause any death, but it certainly has caused amusement for the three of us and everybody else.
1: The Senators traded him to Ottawa, or the Senators traded him to Vegas on July twenty eighth. So it was not a free agent signing by the Vegas Golden Knights. Ottawa did sign that contract. (laughs) So there is. A that's very a distinct brief, yeah. chance that this is actually the Ottawa Senators' fault, and we've been ragging on Vegas for no
0: reason.
2: When when was Pierre Maguire hired?
0: Um, <laughs> I think but around. That's not the not his re- re- no, no, that's not Pierre's responsibility. He is no. apparently the VP of. Um, Player development, or yes, player development, of, yeah, yeah. senior VP yeah. of player development. No, that's a title. Um, no, it is, Peter, it is Peter McTavish that is responsible for uh the salary cap and contract negotiations. So that I'm I'm assuming either himself or someone underneath him would have been responsible for sending that paperwork along to the Vegas Golden Knights. If that is the case, so if that's how mess. it all played out. Boy, that's interesting.
2: It'd and be then, way more entertaining if it was Pierre McGuire's fault.
0: I guess. I mean, poor Pierre. <laughs> don't pick on him. I like him. Um, I, get, I <laughs> like Pierre. Actually, he's pretty funny. <laughs> <Maybe> um, <too. laughs> so, but you know, he's easy to pick on, and he admits it. Um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be. a am not sure how you untangle this in terms of who's responsible. Like, Vegas has some responsibility, of course, but so does Definitely. Ottawa. Right. Yeah. If that's if this is how it all played out. Right, both parties have some responsibility um, in that. And the other thing is, if I remember correctly, those, that contract would have been an, under file with central registry because they have a co- they have copies of everybody's contract. Should be, yeah. yeah. So that signed in, in twenty twenty, right? So they should have a copy of that as well. So when it, when it does get sent in, they would go through it and go wait a minute and that's obviously when probably the red light went on and said we have a problem here um, and then sent it back so
2: I, I think uh, I read you- that they couldn't find the contract and so they it's, had so the delay was tracking down the contract and then they discovered oh there's a no trade and yeah I think so that's they couldn't why find it,
0: it could, could, Vegas central couldn't registry. Find, oh a central registry they couldn't find it Jeez. I, I read
2: that somewhere I don't know how accurate wow.
0: it's going to be if like
1: tomorrow morning he's a UFA
0: <laughs> yeah. see if, if that's the case I'm like well all the contracts should be digitally like searchable
1: yeah it should be and easy.
0: searchable like in, in a file that is for that team only and then you have the hard copies as well to back it up and you have multiple hard copies just in case and you have the digital copies backed up in three different yeah. places so I mean like that you can't find it Um, that would be Like if I'm in the NHL head office, I'm knocking on the door going, "What do you mean you can't find a contract?"
1: Yeah, that's like like colossal failures at multiple
0: levels. Right. I like. I'm I'm now. I'm even more curious to see how this plays out. Um, Not that I don't misplace things, but you know, obviously, that's you know misplacing my keys and misplacing a contract is two different things
1: yes very different all right uh we'll call it there cuz we don't have any more information on this and hopefully we can all figure this out tomorrow and see what's going on with them getting dadnov because this is a absolutely wild story and obviously we'll be back on thursday with another canadians game as they take on the panthers hey the team that uh, first signed of dadnov i believe drafted him as well so you know, always so go maybe- back to russia yeah, Guinea Dadnov Week on Game Over Montreal. Thank you, Shane and Laurie, for joining me. Uh, Thank first, you very much. Appreciate it. First, Laurie, and then Shane. Tell everyone where they can find your things. Of course, the links for everything are in the description
2: of the podcast and the YouTube. Find me on uh, Twitter, Laurie Tan Habs, uh, and wordpress.com. And I also have a weekly com- column at wreckhousepress.com. Uh,
0: uh, you can find me at uh, Shane Malloy on Twitter and our radio show, Hockey Prospect Radio is on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio on Saturday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard and then repeated again on Sunday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard. It's played throughout the weekend, but those are our hard and fast times.
1: Perfect. All right. See you, everyone, for the Ben Sherratt tribute video on Thursday as he returns <laughs> to the Bell Center that he never quite left.